lift up the rest of this service to you as well. That as we, as we move from here and we come to your word, Lord, we pray that you would continue to be with us wherever we're at. That you would be near to us and lead us in worship. That, that as we come to your word, Lord, now we want to hear you speak to us. We want to hear what you have to say to us this morning. And so we ask you to speak to each one of us clearly and, and powerfully. Father, anything that may distract us in our hearts, if we have anxiety or fear in our hearts, Lord, wipe it away so we can hear you speak. There's distractions in our surroundings, Lord. Hold them off so we can hear, we pray. We pray that as we come to your word, that you would open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see, and our hearts to respond to what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. We're continuing to work our way through Isaiah 53, and I decided rather than just reading one verse, I want to read all of Isaiah 53 for our scripture reading because we can't get enough scripture during a time like this. So as you're looking for that verse in your Bibles, I'm going to get a drink of water. You could probably hear me gurgling it down, but that's okay. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we would desire him. He was despised, rejected by men a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of our life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. 
Amen. Well, in the midst of difficult times like these, there are a number of questions that always seem to come up and always seem to hang on people's minds. And one of those questions is, where is God in the midst of this? Where is God as the coronavirus spreads across our globe? Where is God as my medical appointments are canceled or delayed? Where is God when I feel isolated and experience intense loneliness? Where is God as I'm being laid off from my job and wondering if I'm going to be able to pay my bills and provide for my family? It's a difficult question. Yet it's there. It's, it's on people's lips. It's on their hearts wrestling with where is God in the midst of this? And I, and I don't want to take those questions lightly. I want to answer those questions with truth from God's Word. A truth that I believe will provide comfort and strength in the midst of trial. It does us no good to try to comfort ourselves by lying to ourselves or, or embracing something that is not true. The only way we can truly find comfort in the midst of trial, real strong and firm comfort, is by hearing and embracing the truth. And when we want to come to an answer of that question, it's important for us to look at Jesus' death on the cross. Where was God when Jesus hung on the cross? And to answer that question, our passage gives us an answer this morning. In verse 10, right away at the beginning, it says, It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. I know for some of you that might make you cringe. But I encourage you to be patient with me and listen through to the very end of this message. Because it's the repeated refrain throughout all of Scripture that that Jesus suffered and died on the cross because it was the Lord's will. Like we mentioned last week, Jesus didn't deserve to die. He didn't deserve to suffer. He didn't deserve to die on the cross or be punished because He was sinless and innocent. And so that's not why he suffered and died on the cross. He suffered and died on the cross because it was the Lord's will. Twice in the book of Acts it makes that point. Even even at Pentecost where Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and he's preaching to thousands of people, he gets up in Acts 2.23 and says, This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. Then in chapter 4, verse 27, the church is praying. The church is in the midst of persecution and being locked up in jail. And they're praying to the Lord. And they say, Indeed, Lord, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed. And then it says, They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Scripture is clear that Jesus suffered and died because it was part of God's plan and God's purposes. And in the midst of difficult times and trials and struggle and suffering, it does us no good to turn away from God in these moments. And it doesn't doesn't do us any good to pretend that God is in not in control. If you ask, where is God as this virus spreads across our globe? 
I would answer, he's in the same place as he was before the virus began to spread. He's seated on his throne, ruling and reigning over creation, and he will continue to sit on his throne throughout all of eternity. God is in control, even over the spread of this virus. And I realize for some of you that may not provide immediate comfort. Some of you, that may provoke anger within you, and you might find yourself screaming, saying, you're saying God is in control of all of this pain and suffering? To which I would respond, would it be more comforting if God was not in control? If all of this pain and suffering was the result of chance? It just could come and go and hit you whenever it pleased because if, if it's all in the hands of chance, then there's no hope. There's no comfort in it. It can do whatever it pleases. And yet, since God is in control, we can trust His fatherly hand. Since God is in control, we know that there is a purpose behind every suffering. That suffering is never random and pointless. Jesus' suffering wasn't random and pointless. As we go down in our verse, it says... Um, And though the Lord made his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. See, Jesus' suffering had a purpose. His purpose was to be an offering for our sin. Like I mentioned last week, our sin separates us from God. and, And our sin, we deserve, because of our sin, we deserve to suffer and be punished for it. And yet Jesus who was sinless and innocent, stepped in and willingly bore our punishment so that our sin could be cleansed from us and we could enter into the presence of God. He took our punishment in our place. And He stepped forward in His suffering, which was by the plan of God, and He bore the weight of our sin, and He bore the punishment that we deserved so that we could cleanse, He could cleanse us from our sin. His suffering wasn't pointless. At all. It had a purpose. And, and because Jesus was this sin offering for us, the Bible says now we can be called the children of God. We can be adopted into God's family. That's why if you look at this verse, it says that he will see his offspring, that Jesus will see his offspring, which is all those who turn to him in faith and trust are now adopted into God's family. They're brothers with Christ. And now God is our Father, and we are God's children. And that's not just some throwaway phrase. It's powerful. I mean, imagine the God who created the universe calls you child. The God who is in control of the universe right now says, you are my child. I love you. I will take care of you like a father. I will protect you and I will sustain you like a father. I will provide for all of your needs like a father. He has every resource at his control and he will care for you like a father. And that changes everything. Especially when we begin to think about God being in control in the midst of our suffering because God's not in control like some malicious dictator kind of rubbing his hands and and taking delight in our suffering. No, he's in control like a father, protecting us, caring for us, strengthening us, 
providing for us and loving us. And everything we have, everything that comes to us in life, comes to us by His fatherly hand. Because He loves us. And He cares for us like a father. And that means that, means that any suffering that ever comes to us in this life has some purpose. Every suffering in our life has some purpose. Purpose. If God's not in control, then all of our suffering is random and pointless. And it can come and go as it pleases. But since God is in control, every suffering has a purpose. And then we can grab hold of really familiar verses like Romans 8.28 that says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. In all things God works for the good of those who love Him who've been called according to His purpose. Even in the midst of this, God can work and use this for our good and for His glory. And we don't always know the reason behind our suffering. We don't know the purpose behind why we suffer. And the reality is, most times we don't know the purpose. And we don't even need to know the purpose. It's good enough for us to know that there is a purpose. And that we have a Father who is in control, and we can trust Him. And that everything that comes to us comes from His fatherly hand. And that everything that happens will be worked somehow together for our good and His glory. And so I don't know why this virus is spreading across our globe, causing pain and suffering. I don't know. I don't need to know why. All I need to know is that God is still in control. And He is a Father. And He cares for us. And He has a good purpose behind it. And He's working it together for our good and for His glory. And so, I trust Him. And that's why this verse comes back and talks about the will of God again at the end. At the very end it says, The will of the Lord will prosper in His hand. I think it's powerful. At the beginning of the passage, it says the will, it was the will of the Lord to crush him and cause him to suffer. And now at the end of the verse, it says now that same will is going to prosper through his crushing and suffering. That through Jesus' death and suffering on the cross, the will of the Lord is going to prosper and it's going to explode and it's going to expand like it had never done before. I mean, think about it. Prior to Jesus' death, God's people were this small little ragtag group of people that kind of you know, went around in various areas. But after Christ lived and died and rose again, He had the audacity to look at His disciples at the end of Matthew and say, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Before Jesus, God's people were a small ragtag group. After Jesus, now, 2,000 years later, God's people are on every single continent of our globe. Everywhere where the coronavirus is right now is a group of God's people praying, caring for the sick. Through Christ's suffering, God has poured out blessing after blessing after blessing on the earth. 
through Christ's death and suffering, God's kingdom is coming and God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's why Christ suffered willingly and joyfully. I mean, there's one little phrase in the midst of this passage I don't want us to skip over. And and some translations translate it differently. But right in the middle it says, His soul made an offering for guilt. And you might ask, why would it say soul? Why Why wouldn't it say that He Himself made an offering for guilt? Why His soul? And all the commentators say, that it uses the word soul in order to emphasize his willing commitment of his very self to the task. That at the core of his being, Christ submitted to the Father's will and suffered. He did it willingly and joyfully. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says the same thing. It says, as we go through life, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That Christ suffered and died willingly and even joyfully because he knew it was the Lord's will and he trusted his Father. I think we can learn a lot from that in the midst of our own suffering and trial. Jesus willingly and joyfully entrusted himself into the Father's hands. He didn't go to the cross grumbling or complaining or kicking the dirt, but he went willingly and joyfully. And he was able to do that because he knew, he knew that his Father was in control and that there was some kind of purpose behind that suffering and that God would use that suffering for something greater, something greater. And so he submitted himself to his Father. And he trusted him. And we even get to see Jesus in that wrestling match of of entrusting himself to the Father as he comes up to the cross. Jesus is at the Garden of Gethsemane and he knows the cross is coming. The weight of sin is already beginning to bear down on his shoulders. And then Jesus gets down on his knees and he prays to his Father. And he says, Father, if you are willing... Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And that's a good wrestling match to have with God. Jesus was not afraid to come to his father and ask his father to relieve him from suffering. He wasn't afraid to come before his father and say, Father, I don't, I would not, I don't want to suffer. Please take this from me if you can. And yet, he entrusts himself to his Father and says, Not my will, Father, but yours be done. Because he knows that his Father is in control. He knows that his Father is good. So he trusts him. And he willingly and joyfully lays his life in the hands of God. And then he goes and endures the cross and scorns its shame. Knowing that God is in control in the midst of our suffering does not mean that we need to go through life stoically pretending like nothing, that we are completely unaffected by sorrow. That's not what that means. We, we follow Christ's example. I mean, right now in the midst of this 
difficulty and trial and suffering, we need to be on our knees praying, begging God to stop the spread of this virus, begging God to relieve people from pain and suffering, begging God to remove that cup of suffering from all those we know and love. We should be begging and pleading Him to do that. But as we wrap up our prayer, deep down in our soul, we need to lay the world, the nation, our communities, our families into God's hands and say, not our will, but your will be done. We trust you. And as we entrust ourselves and our families into God's Hands, we can trust Him to provide us with everything we need to make it through this difficulty. We can trust Him that God's going to bring us through to the end. He will hold us and carry us and bring us all the way through to the end. One verse that's been on my mind repeatedly throughout this is 1 Peter 5, verse 10. Peter says, And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast? And the reality is that can only be true if God's in control. But because we know that God's in control, because we know that we are in God's fatherly hand, we also have confidence that God will hold on to us Our Father will hold on to us and He will bring us through to the end. And after we have suffered for a little while, He Himself will come and restore us. He Himself will come and strengthen us. He Himself will come and firm up our faith and give us steadfast faith to make it through this suffering and come to the end. Because we have a God who's in control and who's our Father, we can have confidence and comfort as we go through this. The reality is God was, is before us in our trial. God is with us during our trial. And God is going before us after our trials. And so when we find ourselves in the midst of difficulty and suffering, we need to wrestle with God. We do need to get down on our knees and through Jesus Christ enter into the very presence of God and beg Him to remove this cup of suffering from us. But then when we're done, we need to rest. And deep, we don't want to just say the words, thy will be done, and then go on. No, we want the, the, the idea of God's will being done the, the, to rest our lives and say, Lord, I'm giving all of my life to you. Let your will be done with me. Not my will be done, but, but your will be done, Father. I, I give all of myself to you. I give my family to you. I give my church to you. I give my community to you and my nation and my world. I entrust them in your hands, Father, and I trust you to do with them as you will and what you will will be good. And Father, I trust you that eventually you will restore us and you will strengthen us and you will make us firm and steadfast in our faith. And I trust you that you will bring us through to the end of this because You are our Father and You love us. And so we give ourselves to You willingly and joyfully because we trust You. Let's come to our God in prayer.
Father, I continue to praise you for being our God and for bringing us into your family even though we don't deserve it, for calling us your children, for providing and caring and protecting for us like a father. Thank you. And Father, we do pray that you would come in and meet people in their suffering. We do pray that you would come in and remove the cup of suffering from so many people. That you would take this virus and you'd push it back and that you'd stem the tide of it. And that you would bring healing across the globe. And yet, Father, we do entrust this into your hands. We trust you. We entrust the safety of our nation into your hands. We entrust the safety of our church into your hands. We entrust our loved ones into your hands. We entrust our own life into your hands, Father, because we know that you are good. So we pray not our will be done, but your will. And we pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, Amen.